So these two guys, Cleopas, some other guy, get the best Bible study in the history of the world. Jesus teaches them. They hear about Jesus. Well, they knew Jesus. They didn't know resurrected Jesus. Conqueror of the dead Jesus. Forgiver of sins Jesus. They got to meet that Jesus for the first time. And they said, we're not our hearts burning things. Linda Isbell said, come on up here. And she's going to share about uh, East-West missions and burning hearts. So, Linda, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks so much. You get the clicker. Yeah. Clicker power. That's right. Am I on now, Phil? Am I good? Okay. Um, we're not our hearts burning. So, I've known I was going to be here for a long time, and you just pray. Anyone who has to do a message in front of a church knows how much you pray about the message. I stopped. I'm on Highway 6 coming from my sister's home in Eagle, driving up to church. I pulled off where all the fishermen are, and, of course, the fishermen pulled off with me. But I'm sitting in my car just praying by the river, which I knew would please my husband, Bob. Mr. Fisherman, and I'm just like, Lord, give me something, something, something. And I just, I told Jason, I said, I think I'm going to start this whole message by saying, I don't know what's coming out of my mouth today, (laughs) because I've just had so much on my heart, my burning heart. But that was it. In the scripture that Bev just read, I went, we're not our hearts burning. And my heart has been burning. I want to ask you guys, with everything going on in the world right now, what have you been really thinking about for the past month or six weeks? Goodness gracious, we just prayed for peace in the Middle East and what's going on in Iraq, the incredible suffering of so many religious minorities, including Christians. We have things going on in the Ukraine where East West is getting ready to go have a huge outreach. We have things going on all over Africa, Nigeria with Boko Haram. It just goes on and on and on. Our own country and the things that we're dealing with here in our country in Ferguson and the unrest and the unsettled feeling. So what has been on your heart? That stuff can consume all of us. I obviously pay attention to all those things because the work that I do, which I'll briefly explain, the work that I do makes me be very attentive to the world because we go into the world. We go. I sit in an office part-time but I'm privileged to go a lot as well. And so I really pay attention to the world. I can get overwhelmed by it, and I can get overwhelmed by causes. And I just met with a woman who just, she is the permanent representative to the UN for the World Evangelical Alliance, which represents 600 million people in the world. She was getting ready to meet with the UN delegation from Israel and Palestine. I'm like, what are those meetings like? What in the world goes on in those kinds of meetings? What do people say to each other when so much is wrong and it's so difficult to get things solved? What happens? And so I have had this burning thing in me where I feel without doubt that God has given me an unbelievable conviction about 
the truth of the gospel, but more importantly, the power of the gospel. And I was telling Jason this morning, I had to do a devotion. East West is located in Plano, Texas, and we're housed in this enormous place called the Hope Center. It was built by June Hunt. If any of you are from Texas, you know the Hunt oil family. And she has a a radio broadcast called Hope for the Heart that a lot of people listen to on Christian radio. And June just had a vision. It looks like Colorado. I felt so at home when I walked in the first time. It's like a lodge, a ski lodge. It's awesome. But we come together once a month to pray and I had been asked to do the devotion and I did this devotion that just was my heart was burning with I watch the gospel be proclaimed with great celebration and great joy but I also watch the gospel that is this enormous magnificent thing that should be something we celebrate every minute of our lives because we were lost and now we're found we have life and we were dead these things that should be so magnificent in our life and we've taken it and shrunk it down to this little thing that we don't really talk about very much because we talk about everything else we talk about the needs in the horrible conditions in South Sudan need to talk about it. Talk about Ukraine and what's going on with persecution in Ukraine and Iraq and the people that are fleeing. Golly, what are they saying now? You know, 800, a million. I don't know what they're saying now. How many people have fled in Iraq? And we talk about all those things. And the gospel stays down here and the gospel is the key. The gospel is the thing that we should be talking about all the time. How do we get it to people? Because the gospel is the key. Power resides in preaching the gospel. Power resides in what Jesus does. Power is the, uh, the gospel is the agent of change. It is the thing that changes people, changes hearts, changes nations. The gospel is it. It's not a program. It's not a cause. It's not a personal passion. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even the CEO of the Hope Center came up to me afterwards and he went, boy, do we need to be reminded of that. And I went, here we sit with 40 missions agencies, and that's their purpose is to get the gospel out. And even the CEO is going, we really need to be reminded of that because we do get swept up in things. So it's been this enormous conviction on my heart. And as I thought about it and sharing it with this church, I went, I know Jason's preaching it every Sunday, which is awesome. I know what goes on in this church because we belonged here for two decades. (laughs) And so I know what we're hearing. But what I am privileged to do now is take the power that resides in the preaching of the gospel and share it and go and my heart is burning and I would ask you this morning is your heart burning to share the gospel I do some very interesting work I like get up every morning and am excited about what I get to go do which not everyone gets to say that but just so you know 
um, a lot of you know this, when Bob and I left Vail and went to Uganda, which this church sent us to Uganda, we both came back, went to work at another Lutheran school in uh, Carrollton, Texas, by Dallas, uh, Prince of Peace, and Bob is still there teaching. That's why he's not here right now. He's already back coaching and teaching and, and doing all those things. But um, I just had a burning heart to go. So while I was teaching Spanish, I just kept praying and asking God, how can I use my language skills with French and Spanish? Ultimately ended up at East West Ministries uh, through an odd set of circumstances. But what I get to do there, uh, just to give you some of my schedule, um, next month I am headed to Paris to work with immigrants. You guys are probably very familiar with the fact that there are millions of Algerian immigrants that are in France. And so I'm going into Paris to do some work there. I'm going to Athens. Athens is a holding place for refugees who are trying to get out of all of war-torn Middle East area and move through Athens and get somewhere. Usually they're trying to head to Great Britain or Germany or even the Scandinavian countries and um, to work with refugees in Athens. In November, I hope to be in Algeria in the desert where they're going to host, an organization is hosting a dialogue between Christians and Muslims to talk about Jonah. And I went, whoa, that's kind of weird with everything going on in Nineveh um, right now in Iraq. That's very interesting. Um, I'm working with one of my colleagues to try to open a field in Senegal in West Africa, which happens to be a little more open. West Africa is not extremely friendly. Uh, to missionaries. Even eastern Kenya is becoming less and less friendly to missionaries. Um, we are closed. Doors are closing constantly. There is an urgency of go as much and as fast as you can go, as many people who can go to share the gospel because doors keep closing. It becomes more and more difficult. The, the risk of going is getting greater in some places. We have missionaries in Afghanistan, in Cairo, in Jordan. Uh, we have some missionaries who are trying to go. We do have friends that we partner with in Iraq. Um, it's just getting dangerous in some places. Other places, well, like even Bob is going, are you sure you need to be going to Paris? They're going to do something in the metro. They're going to da-da-da-da-da. But who knows? Our world is just um, a difficult place right now. But... East-West has missionaries in over 40 countries doing a lot of work, almost 50 countries now, and our short-term teams that go only go certain places where we have, we, we are guaranteed safety to a, a great extent. And so East-West missionaries take a lot of risk. East-West short-term trips go very predictable places where we know everyone on the ground, where we know that there's going to be safety. And so East-West has this dual thing going. We're ready to take the risk for anyone who wants to take the risk, but we also know that if we're going to take short-term trips places, that one of the things we're going to have to do is be able to address the issue of safety because of the world that we live in right now. So before I start my little clicking here, <clears throat> I do want to just leave with you a challenge because I give it to myself. I wouldn't give you one if I can't give it to myself. I want to really understand the power of the gospel. Scripture is filled with verses. You know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I don't think we're ashamed of the gospel. 
I think we just don't give it the rightful place in our lives to a great extent. We're just not putting it as the primary source of all things in our life. And we're letting other things jockey for position. Some people would call those idols. They would go, if you're lifting something up above Jesus, it's an idol. And um, I'm actually reading a book right now called Gospel, written by a pastor named J.D. Greer. And he's challenging the church to say, keep the gospel where it's supposed to be, at the heart and center of all things. Lift it up in worship, in word, in deed, gospel, gospel, gospel. And so um, I would just challenge you to ask your own questions because all I can do is suggest and prompt. And that's all Jason can do from the pulpit. Suggest, prompt, can pray for you to be convicted. But do your own search of what, what am I really talking about when I want to share who Jesus is? What does that just really mean? It's power. And we kind of forget that. It's not just a, it's not just a story that Bev just read the beautiful story. It's power and authority because God grants it to us for his purposes. And each one of us needs to understand what that means. Okay. I'm going to be here after the potluck to talk to anyone who's interested in getting information about going. And um, I was here in March, and so a lot of people who were here in March understand what I'm talking about. Uh, David Missy understand what I'm talking about. Um, East-West sends short-term uh, trips into maybe 10 countries. As I said, we have missionaries in almost 50 countries, but we can't go into all those countries. And so we send teams into about 10 countries. And I will be discussing specifics after the potluck. So what I want to talk to you about right now is I want to bring the world to you guys. When Bob and I lived here, um, we, we loved living here, every minute of living here. Dear friends, wonderful experiences, but we also felt a little isolated like from the world. We get up here in the mountains and we love our life here and there's so many things to do to keep us busy. And I mean, it's not just social and friends and church. It's activities and outdoors and wonderful things. It's a wonderful life here. But we would kind of go, we kind of feel a little isolated. So I thought, I'm just going to bring the world to you guys. I'm going to let you know what's going on in the world of missions right now because we all care about it. And these are kind of general things from general reports that are being done. It's not any one denomination. It's just people who are coming together and going, here's what's going on. This is the one I want to get out of the way really fast. <laughs> not because I don't believe in it, because I do believe in it. But humanitarian aid is done by both Christian organizations and secular organizations. It's not unique to Christian ministry. Muslims do humanitarian aid. People all over the world who don't follow Jesus do humanitarian aid. And it needs to be done, and it's essential. So all of these things are being done because of wars and terrorism and poverty and children and youth issues. They're so worried about the generation coming up. Health care that people don't have. Sex trafficking and pornography because of the Internet now. Famine. There are so many things going on. I just met with a pastor from South Sudan. And he's going to do leadership training in South Sudan. And the conditions of the refugee camps in South Sudan are so abominable, you can't even talk about them. The way people are having to live, it's, it's worse than 
animals, the deer who live out here. I mean, what's going on in those uh, places is terrible. The famine that no one's talking about. He said there, no one can farm in South Sudan right now because everyone's had to flee because of fighting. And so the farmers don't have their land to farm anymore. And um, when we lived in Uganda, the LCM, um, LCMS missionary that lived in Kampala was trying to go into South Sudan and do work. He's no longer there, and I'm not sure what's going on there. But anyway. Okay. <clears throat> As we look at the next portion that I'm going to talk to you about, <laughs> I want this to just kind of be in your head. Our call as believers and followers of Jesus is to constantly be living and giving the gospel no matter what our cause is. We have a variety of things that are on our heart. Each one of us, God touches us with things. I'm overwhelmed um, at poverty. I'm, I'm overwhelmed at famine and dying and starving people. I'm overwhelmed at certain things, and I have certain causes that really touch me. Um, I just talked to a young woman who said, I really feel called to go into um, all of the sex trafficking ministries and to try to stop all of that. And So people have different causes, but the call is to constantly be living and giving the gospel, no matter what we're doing, no matter what the cause is. So here we go. Trends in outreach. Can you guys see this? Yeah, you can see it because I can see it all the way back there. Okay. There are certain things going on in the mission arena now that are, um, I hate to call them buzzwords, but it's things that everyone talks about. And unreached people groups and statistics vary on this. But the 1040 window, do you guys know what the 1040 window is? It's, you know, latitude 1040, and it sweeps through parts of North Africa, the Middle East, over through India, uh, parts of China, Southeast Asia. The 1040 window contains 85%, 85% of the unreached people groups, which is an amazing thing. And people are flocking there to try to share the gospel, which is to be celebrated absolutely celebrated. There are 3 billion unreached people in over 4,000 people groups. 3 billion. And when it says they're unreached, it means there's no Bible, there's no pastor, there's no missionary, there's no one telling them who Jesus is. And so sometimes I have this tendency to go, like, I'll see someone, well, and I'll just say Muslims. I have Muslims on my mind because that's a big part of my ministry. I'll see someone wearing a burqa, and I go, oh, they're a Muslim. And then I go, they've never had a chance to hear Jesus. What am I thinking? <laughs> they haven't even had a chance to go, I want to wear this burqa and be a Muslim. Or I want to be a Christian. They haven't even heard. They don't even know what I'm thinking inside my head. They don't even know what I have to share. And so 3 billion people are in that condition where no one has ever shared the gospel with them. 40% of the world has heard the gospel, 40%. 18% is in the process. In other words, there's missionary that, missionaries there. There's work going on. The word is getting out. They're sharing the gospel. But 42% have never heard. So that's a huge, enormous part of our world that has never even had a chance to say, I want Jesus. They've never even had the opportunity. And what East-West exists to do is to give people that opportunity. And quite honestly... What we all should be doing is giving people that opportunity to know who Jesus is. Another big switch which takes us all by surprise is the West and the Majority World Church. Now, the Majority World Church is now being defined as everything but the West. For the longest time, the West, Europe, 
the United States. We were the senders. And now the majority world church, which is Africa, Asia, India, South America, the majority world church, where the majority of the Christians are now, they're becoming senders. So look at this. More believers gathered in China than all of Europe last Sunday. More Presbyterians gathered in Ghana and Africa than in Scotland, where it came from. Europe's largest church is in Kiev, pastored by a Nigerian of Pentecostal background. I mean, we're just looking at these unbelievable shifts in what's going on in the church and the people that are being sent. Each week, 15,000 missionaries from Africa and Asia are evangelizing in Great Britain. Isn't that just the most stunning fact? I read an article recently about a church in Nigeria that is so distressed at the Western church and what they know about the Western church, that they fasted and prayed for a weekend to pray for the Western church and to pray for missionaries to go to the Western church because they see us as needing evangelizing here in the West. India sends 80, almost 83,000 missionaries, China 20,000, Nigeria 6,644, Philippines. We are not even realizing that these majority world churches are sending missionaries. We have kind of stayed in that world of we're the senders. And now because, praise God, celebrate, we've done such an amazing job of answering God's call and sharing the gospel. Now they're sending. And so it's not just us anymore. That's a big shift in mission work. Immigration and outreach at home. You guys can't see these statistics probably too well, but I just found this. Denver neighborhoods with 30% uh, or greater foreign-born people, people who have come and were born in other countries. And so we have this amazing, they call it the diaspora, diaspora, diaspora. What would you say? Diaspora. Okay. Uh, Where people are moving all over the world. And so Denver has its fair share. I would not say Denver is a hot spot right now. Not like where I live in Dallas. Oh, my goodness. In Dallas, Dallas and U.S. refugee and immigration, 44% of DFW residents are new Americans. I know. We just don't realize what's coming here. And you guys are very aware probably that people go, well, great, they're coming here. We don't have to go there. Well, no, 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 no. The overwhelming majority is still there. But we have people coming here. So what missionary agencies like East West, we have a missionary in the Dallas-Fort Worth area now. His goal is just to reach the unreached that are coming here as refugees or immigrants. And he is trying to build teams to go, we're going to go into Vickery Meadows where all the refugees come in from Somalia and Sudan and Nigeria. They're all coming to certain areas. And it's very easy for the Christian community to go do ministry. You guys can read some of those statistics. Um, But this verse, I love this verse. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Just going, all these people are coming here. And then some of them go back. And when they go back and they become Christian, they're sharing, which is one of the most incredible things when a national can share to a national. That's a big, big win. Oral learners. (laughs) I'm doing research right now on... um, Outreach to Muslim women, they are called the most unreached of the unreached because they are so separated from society. Their culture, 
keeps them separate behind closed doors. There are countries, I've talked to missionaries in these countries, where even the, the chores of going out to buy food are done by men because the wives can't be out of the house. And so Muslim women are very inaccessible. So then I started going, okay, I guess I better see if Muslim women can even read. It hit me. I gave a Bible, well, a friend of mine in a dinner gave a Bible to a Muslim woman, and she handed it to her sister and said, here, this is for you. And we're going, oh, my gosh, I bet Miriam can't read. And she's giving it to Scheherazade because Scheherazade is educated and can read. So I started doing research. What is the literacy rate in all these countries? And the literacy rate, look at Afghanistan. That's the average. 28% of people in Afghanistan are literate. That's not women. That's the average. Women are down at like 13% and men are up at 40-something. And that's why it ends up being what it is. So... The literacy rate in oral learners, there's tons of work going on now with getting scripture on like recorded things, all sorts of devices, so they can actually hear it because many, many people in the 1040 window cannot read. And while Bible translation in the written word is awesome, oral learners, that there are organizations that devote themselves totally to oral learning. Um, rapid church multiplication and disciple-making movements. This is a big move across the world of missions. Um, it is not taking away from what traditional missions has been, but there are certain practices they're finding that are very effective in the gospel moving rapidly through people. It's effective in countries where the church is persecuted. They have to go underground. It's been very effective in China. It's effective in rural areas. On Mount Elgon, which is between Kenya and Uganda, we have um, a church multiplication movement that's going on right now, and they go from village to village to village to village, and they're planting churches because there are these little villages all over Mount Elgon in that area. It's effective where church growth is repressed. So Cuba, which is one of the places we're going to be talking about going, Cuba has rapid church growth through house churches because they can't build churches. It's forbidden. The Catholic Church, did you see, the Catholic Church just got permission to build a new cathedral in Cuba, and it's the first time since Fidel took power that any church has been built there. And so they're hoping it's kind of ushering in a new era of people being able to build some churches. It's also moving into many Western areas, Europe especially. They're trying to start house church movements because the cathedrals sit empty in the Catholic system. And while there is... Uh, renewal in the Catholic Church in Europe. In many areas, there's also a need for people to be out in house churches and just doing Bible studies and doing what they can to get the gospel out to people. The last thing that is on everyone's mind is the growth of Islam. And obviously, we're not going to get into all the political stuff. If we just want to look at it from the spiritual perspective, they're very evangelistic very evangelistic and you're very aware of what's going on with ISIS or IS whatever they call it now going in and that's the radical obviously but going leave or be killed or convert to to Islam and there are people um, I talked to someone who'd been in Afghanistan and they were like everywhere you go they go you should become a Muslim 
And she goes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'll never become a... Oh, but you live in Afghanistan, so you should become a Muslim. (laughs) And so we just know that the spread of Islam is very cultural frequently, not even very religious frequently, but very cultural because of where you live. So what East West is working on is education, training, understanding, compassion, love, and the Great Commission. They need to hear it. Like everyone needs to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth of Jesus. And so East West is doing everything they can to train people, even in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We have frequent trainings where people come and learn how to witness Jesus to Muslims. Um, These are just the things that East West is involved in. I don't need to go into all of them. I am very involved in Muslim initiatives, and I am very involved in training in our area, and I'm very involved in short-term trips. The last thing that I want to focus on is at the bottom where it says, focused on evangelism, sharing the gospel, rapid growth in house churches, and disciple-making. East-West just goes, we are about the gospel. If we go in and happen to build a water well, awesome. If we go in and happen to do some ESL and teach people English, awesome. But what we are here to do is be sure people know who Jesus is and the work of his redemption on the cross. And it is the life changer, especially in these areas that we are going into. Now what we're going to be, I'm going to leave you with this. What we're going to be talking about after the potluck is something that um, a colleague shared with me before I came. I said, okay, I'm going to my home church in Vail and I'm so excited to see, you know, what the interest is and how people are touched and how God's prepared hearts and who goes, yeah, I need to go. This is something I need to do. And he said, you know, one of the things you have to remind them about is that you're in it together. Like, you could be the biggest novice in the world who's never shared the gospel with anyone, and you could still go because we're in it together. Everyone is supporting each other on a, a team trip like this where you go, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know God wants me to be doing this, and so I'm going to go do it. I feel like I'm supposed to go do it. And he said, just remind them that anyone who loves Jesus can go do this if you're called to go do it or when you're called to go do it. And so what we're going to be discussing is the why, the when, the where, the who, all the questions that we need to answer for what does it mean to launch a trip from Gracious Savior. Um, So I would invite you to stay if you're interested. Even if you're going, oh, there's no way I'd go, but I'm interested in what, what, where we would be going, feel free to stay. That's great. It's just a, a healthy time to ask questions and get information. And quite honestly, I know Jason, in our conversations, he would love the whole church to be supportive of this effort. It's not just the people who are going to be going. It really is the entire church to say, we're sending this team. It's not just individuals that are saying, God's called me, I'm going. It really is the church is going to send out a team into the world to share the gospel. I'm going to close in prayer. And then I'm done. Father, we... um, We stand in awe of who you are. And Father, just um, I'm reminded of your greatness when I look at creation and the stars driving up the mountain last night and how vast you are and how incomprehensible you are in your vastness. And Father, you 
you have reached down and touched us through your son Jesus Christ to bring us home to you. And Father, we just yearn with burning hearts to do what you ask us to do, to listen, to be responsive, to be radical, to be dangerous, to do the things that you want us to be doing. Father, we just pray that that spirit of the Acts Church that was so passionate to share the gospel that could not stop themselves from sharing because the news was so good and so powerful that they could not stay quiet. We just pray, Father, that that resides in us. We ask for that gift of burning hearts. And, Father, you're the one who works it into us, so we just ask you to be generous with that spirit in each one of us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.